Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, it's all about points. The points deductions facing Everton and Nottingham Forest after they were charged with breaching the Premier League's financial rules. Ivan Tony returns to action with a point to prove after being banned for eight months. And Jose Mourinho, what's the point? We discussed the future of the special one after he was sacked by Roma. And chaps, what do points make? Pundits! And we've got three of the very best in football joining me, Tom Clark. Today we have the Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel. Football Correspondent for The Sunday Times, Jonathan Northcroft. And a former defender who, in the 2010-11 season for Chesterfield, had an impressive record of played 23, won 13, drew 5, lost 5, and kept 10 clean sheets. Gregor Robertson is here too. He's just going to go through every season. No, 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 it's it's just a bit of a yin and yang, because I dug you out on Monday with a shock of a season, and then I did manage to find one when you seemed to have a bit of an impact, so there you go. But you won the league that year, yeah? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Getting a uh, player of the month, I won't, I won't go that far, John. <laughs> that's, the, you know that's the one I've been searching for. I really want to say, like, you know, October's player of the year. I think I once got, like, the Community Player of the Year award. You know, that's like the token oh, gesture one at the end. So. Yeah. No, that's I the, like, Man of the People one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Did my bet in the community, you know? Good lad, good lad. Well, um, <laughs> moving on to more serious matters, only only marginally more serious than Gregor's um, lustrous career. Uh, and hours after recording Monday's show, news broke about Everton and Nottingham Forest. Everton, of course, facing a second points deduction this season after being charged with another breach of the Premier League's financial rules, with Nottingham Forest also charged. Um, as Martin Ziegler and Paul Joyce wrote, the Premier League's action is set to spark a new storm after it announced that Everton and Forest had both confirmed that they are in breach of its profit and sustainability rules for the three-year period ending 2022-23 season. In November, of course, Everton were handed a 10-point deduction for profit and sustainability breach after being charged last season. This was the biggest points deduction in Premier League's 30-year history, but they are appealing against this decision. Now, Martin, we had known about these potential charges for a while. Martin Ziegler and others had reported the potential for Forrest to be charged and Everton as well. Um, In your ST column at the weekend, which was kind of previewing this potential news, um, you kind of wrote, as you have done before, in the kind of guise of, this is a bit rich because the rules are going to be changed. The headline, condemning Everton and Forest a bit rich when the rules are set to be scrapped, changing profit and sustainability rules in August is a tacit tacit admission that in the present state they are no longer fit for purpose. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell us more. Well, um, I mean, you've summed it up, basically. Um, right, Johnny, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've, you've summed it up. Um, the thing is that the profit and sustainability rules uh, will change in August they'll be linked a lot more closely to UEFA's uh, financial fair play rules. By its own admission, 
it means that they are they're not where they should be and it's not about um it's not so much about prosecuting uh everton or nottingham forest because if the rules are there and if you've broken the rules you've broken the rules it's going to be the same with manchester city it's about getting a sense of proportion in the punishment because if you're going to change the rules in six months' time because the rules no longer suit football as it is now. It seems completely unjust to give somebody a draconian punishment that will last long beyond um, this next six months. Could could change the future of, of the football club. Could, could bankrupt a football club, really. Um for something that you are going to change in six months' time to bring it up to date. Mm. You know, I mean, look, Kieran Maguire, who's a uh, financial football analyst, wrote this week that if you actually updated uh, PNS rules to reflect the money that is in football now, as opposed to the money that was in football in 2014 when they were made, the losses a club would be permitted over three years would be £218 million rather than £105 million. That's how different the financial landscape is. So quite where, we, what, quite why clubs are being deducted 10 points. And maybe if they were deducted 10 points again... Everton don't start with a 20-point deduction in one season. Mm. I don't care how good Sean Dyche is. So these are massive ramifications for these clubs for a, for a set of circumstances that are going to change. Everton have already claimed that one of the reasons that they fell foul of uh, PNS in the first place was that they changed the calculations to do with building stadiums and, and loans and, and uh, interest and stuff. So it, it's just that, that you've got this evolving financial landscape and a set of rules that are now 10 years old and on those rules you're deducting 10 points there's so many stages you could go through before you deducted 10 points so do you think the the punishment is too harsh or do you think there shouldn't be any punishment at all well look uh, you know what i think about um financial limitations on 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 owners investing so that's a totally different point but if you're taking we must have rules there should be profit and sustainability rules you can't make the punishment as strong as this is because they run about three red lights to get to 10 points, if you know what I mean. There's the, there's the one where you it's a financial punishment to begin with. Then there's the one where you could have transfer embargoes for however many transfer windows. Then there's the one where you could deduct points on a level that people could see a way forward from it. You know, four points, a win and a draw, something like that. 10 points is huge. 10 points twice in a season is potentially ruinous for any club. Johnny, your reaction to some of Martin's points, but also to the news in general? Yeah, look, Martin sets it out very well. I think that what, what this whole affair has exposed has been a long-running issue, um, not just in, in English football, I suppose European football, which is um, the inability of, of FFP or, or, or PSR rules to manage things in any kind of satisfactory timescale. Because what we really need is is sort of real-time regulation that stop mm. clubs going bust, going to the brink. And we've got to remember that in this case, 
PSR rules came in in the wake of Portsmouth, I think, who absolutely fell off a cliff financially in around 2008, 2009. Premier League then realised they had to, they had to act. As Martin said, they adopted the UEFA system, having had their own FFP. I think the UEFA system initially was five million pounds allowed losses and then 30 million pounds of owner investment per season. So that's where you get 105, that's three times 35. And that was coming in around about 2009, 10, and finally adopted 2013, 14. And it's taken 10 years for somebody to actually be punished under those rules. And Everton's breaches go back to 2018. I think the first, the, the current 10 point charge is from 2018 to 2021. And then this is uh, 21, 22. And this is, this is last season. So, and, and, and the bulk of Everton's overspend, as it were, was in those early years of the Mashiri reign. So we're in a situation where, as Martin said, for so sins of the past, for a situation where the club has been put in a, in a, in a financial spot in the sense that, yes, Mashiri could afford it, but now he's walking away and he looks like he's selling to some owners which their track record in sport and, and business isn't, isn't the greatest, let's be honest. And that, that's what we don't want in football. But these rules have not stopped any of that happening and all they're going to do now is punish in retrospect the club for, for the actions of, let's say, Mashiri, who's about to leave, for Grant Inglis and, and Denise Baxendale Barrett, the, the execs mm-hmm. in charge who dealt with the Premier League over this, gave Everton the impression that they were going to be fine, who have now left the club and wouldn't even represent the club in discussions or, or give evidence on their behalf. And then there's proportionality, as, as, as Martin said, where you've got a situation of a... Having nobody ever having been punished, a club being punished 10 points for going 18 or 19 million pounds over and then facing double jeopardy, facing a second set of charges, which is the ones they're going to they're gonna face. Now, all of it shows that the system's broken. The Premier League know that. I think next month the Premier League meeting is going to, it looks like they're going to ratify the new changes that Martin outlined, which is bringing in, because UEFA have moved on, a UEFA style basically a wages to turnover ratio which which on the surface does seem more of a real time monitoring thing but the Premier League are, are so far behind on this and that's before we even get to Chelsea being being investigated mm-hmm. for stuff in the early Abramovich era and Manchester City's 115 going back to 2008 9 is yeah, it 2008 9 the rules aren't they're, yeah. they're not working they're not they're not they're not doing what they set out to do and Everton are caught in the middle of it now. Yeah, so we do feel Everton have been harshly treated here. Two, ten points was too much, and uh, the idea of double jeopardy is, is an anathema and natural justice. Uh, and the final point, sorry, I, I should have made about this whole, the length of time this takes, Everton are appealing the ten points, and that won't be heard until I think next month at the earliest. Mm. They can't deal with this case until the appeal's held, and the projection is that the, the Premier League getting a rule in May on this, maybe even after the season finishes, but certainly last week of the season in May. So clubs will go into the relegation fight not knowing what the situation is. I was just about to say, sorry, I was just about to just clarify when John's talking about double jeopardy, two of the seasons that Everton are being done for on this second occasion are seasons that they've already been Mm. Uh, you know, concerned with the ten points. Yeah. So yeah. that's the double jeopardy. You're yeah. you're 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 being done for the same offence twice, which mm. just doesn't seem right. So it's a rule in three year yeah. period. Yeah. 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 
Gregor, your former club, Nottingham Forest, um, obviously charged this time. Charlotte Dunker writing after the um, news broke that a kind of piece looking at the kind of bit, slightly carefree spending that has gone on uh, with a piece headline, Nottingham Forest owners acted like children in a sweet shop from signings without staff's approval to deadline day splurges. The club's breaching of profit and sustainability rules is indicative of careless recruitment. I assume you would agree with all that assessment. Yeah, I mean, my, my simple, like, I, I want to see... Forest do well, they're a club that's, you know, have affection for still. But I have very, very little sympathy for Nottingham Forest. They've I counted, they've they've signed hundred and thirty players since twenty seventeen. Wow. So there's this there was this sort of, because of the promotion, there's a I feel like, you know, and I hope Forest fans will take this in the right way, there was like a bout of collective amnesia about what had gone before. This isn't chaos that happened when they got into the Premier League, and although that's that's mm. more relevant now because of, as I say, the three-year rolling period, but it was chaos from minute one. This, the like the churn of players and managers and staff, everything was always there, and then they lucked out with Steve Cooper, mm. and then the chaos continued. They spent 150 million in the first summer. They've been run really, really badly, and I think continued to be. Mm. So you don't you don't necessarily feel like the guys were saying about Everton maybe with the double jeopardy this one you don't no, actually no, think there's necessarily an unfairness. No, but there's, like, there's, there's, all these things are quite nuanced because I I kind of I've also seen people make the point that surely the financial year should run in, in tandem with the transfer window if it's going to be so important because mm-hmm. they're talking about the Brennan Johnson fee, you know they they held out for mm-hmm. a larger sum. Like if you're getting to that stage and that's how you're dependent on you, I think it says a lot about the way you run the club. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing to say. But it's yeah. a valid point that. That's something that should be looked at going forward. Just coming back as well to the kind of proportionality of the punishment, like Johnny referenced the last time we spoke about this, like Leicester cut their cloth yeah. accordingly and were relegated as a result, basically. You look at Aston Villa, you know everyone's saying that Aston Villa should be able to compete now. They've been quite smart. They they sold two of their two of their most highly rated academy players for like 25, 30 million quid in the summer and inserted buyback clauses. Mm. They did that to comply with FFP that was that was a part of their plan they think we could get them back in future if, if possible so there's been no wit no, no intelligence in the way either Everton or Forrest have been run and so for that reason I honestly have very little sympathy well I have limited sympathy yeah. for them I'm glad, I'm glad Gregor raised that because um, when I say the rules are broken and we, we are expressing sympathy for Everton in particular maybe less so for Forrest here but we have to have sympathy for the Leicesters of the world, for Tottenham, you know, for Liverpool, for Aston Villa, for everyone that's complied with them, for Crystal Palace, um, because they're broken for everyone. So the, all those clubs who've worked hard to, to try and stay within the rules, and it, it arguably did mean the collapse of Leicester's model, players leaving, players getting unsatis- dissatisfied because other players were leaving. Um, it's it, it's it's meant Aston Villa have had to be clever. Newcastle having to go through a period of trying to grow within a almost a straight jacket of rules. We've got to have sympathy for them as well. We, there's there's such an outpouring for Everton, and I and, and that's right. You know, because I think it's because you can see there's a fan base that have really suffered, and they've suffered from their owners, they've suffered from bad recruiters, they've suffered from bad managers, they've suffered from underperforming players, and they've probably just suffered from wrong place in history at the wrong time wrong wrong point to, to have a, a sort of trough but you've got to be sympathetic to the other clubs as well and but John, a, a new system needs to come in that's going to protect everybody mm, but John all I would say is it's it's not about I don't think 
pitching Everton against Leicester or pitching mm. Leicester fans against Everton fans and Nottingham Forest fans against uh, you know Aston Villa fans or whatever because the whole system is wrong Leicester should never have been relegated Leicester should never have had to comply with a completely artificial construct that is that has not moved with the times mm. Newcastle should not have to comply with that. Aston Villa are now talking about selling players. I take your point, Gregor, but why should Aston Villa have to let two of their kids no. go, even with a good buyback buy clause? They're not skint, Aston Villa. The owners have got money. You know, you've produced those kids. Why are they with somebody else? It's not right. It's not fair. It's not actually needed. Portsmouth was a long time ago. I'll, I'll get rid of the Portsmouth problem in, in one fell swoop. Owners have to give gifts, not loans. Mm. Owners have to invest, not yep. loan. Yep. Right? And that does with Portsmouth. But what happened was Portsmouth was used to make owner investment rather than debt the big problem. That uh, it, it was it was used to flip FFP on its uh, on its on its tail, basically. And it became about something that actually is quite healthy for the game, which is an owner who wants to invest in the football club. Gregor's point, notwithstanding, there's sensible ways to do it and there's yeah. bad ways to do it. But there's always been good and bad owners. That's how clubs move up and down the league. My only thing about the thing, this idea of moving with the times and this, you know, what Kieran Maguire suggested, it should be work, you should be allowed to lose £218 million. Mm-hmm. Why should that be tied to, to the amount of money in football? Mm-hmm. Like, surely the amount of money coming to football has, has risen <laughs> you mm. cut your cloth accordingly to that it doesn't mean you just lose more money mm-hmm. and like football is its own like like the, the thing that's really inflated we have to be honest the thing that's really inflated spending in football but first of all it was TV money then it was the arrival of an oligarch in West London <laughs> mm. then it was you know largely US private equity and now it's everyone trying to keep up with a nation state yeah. It's, it, yeah. That, that's what's inflated yeah. spending. That's why everyone has to spend more and lose more to to catch up. But who do you want to have the money? This is what I don't get. You see, two hundred eight million. If you're allowed to lose two hundred eight million, and then owners are going to you know maybe invest a bit more, and however oh, we're going to get into an arms race or whatever. But actually, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be this competition. It's meant mm. to be. I don't mind the idea of very rich men. Um. Amusing I'm the working class mm. by by chasing a dream. I really don't. I don't mind that. And I tell you, the, the part of football where I really want to would be very interested to look at the finances. You go back to when there was a maximum wage, and there were seventy thousand people in the stadium. The most anyone could earn mm. was eight quid. Where did the money go then? Who got the money then? Because it wasn't the players, and the fans were still paying mm. to get in. So who got the money? Now, I don't think that's a great business model either, where, you know, someone sits around and never has to put their hand in their pocket. What's happening at the moment is quite good fun. Look, I do do fundamentally agree with that point, but we still need some kind of rules, not just about sustainability, but about competitive balance. I think we do. Totally. There's a brilliant interview and but in a in a rival outlet today with Javier Tebas, who's who's an interesting character, um, the head of the the, the Spanish league. Mm. Brilliant because he's 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 colourful and he expresses himself in in quite amusing ways. 
But the thing that really comes through is the impossibility of being in charge of Spanish football when you've got Barcelona and Real Madrid, in particular yeah. Real Madrid, who are mm. mighty at the moment, Barca and financial difficulties. But he, he basically says in this interview, I have had to spend my career trying to run the league for the benefit, or rather trying to do what's best for 40 clubs, because the two others in the 42 will not do anything for the rest. And that's the reality. If, if you... If you uh, if you don't, if you don't fetter the spending in some way, or you don't have some kind of balancing mechanism, you are in danger of having big clubs that are so uber dominant. And we've mm. got more big clubs in, in in this country than 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 Spain or Germany. But you cannot have equally a system where there's five or six who are just so wealthy that nobody else can compete. Well, in my opinion. Totally protecting that big six leads me on to the next question, which is a listener question from Tony McMullen, who, as well as saying he enjoys hearing a new fact about Gregor Robertson's playing career <laughs> on each episode, said he also had a question mainly for you, Martin, but I'm sure everyone can answer it as well. Uh, he said, having read a lot of your pieces that talks about profit and sustainability and how it often essentially just protects those big six clubs, he wants to know why you think, why haven't the Premier League clubs outside that big six simply voted to abolish them? Because it would have then helped the likes of Leicester, as we talked about before. Yeah, because um, <laughs> they're not very bright sometimes. <laughs> Some of them, I, I'm, 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 you know, I, I mean that. I, you know, you, you, you get clubs. I can remember West Ham voting for the FFP rules right at the time when they're absolutely ripe for being taken over by... By by somebody by a, by a wealthy guy, they got this sixty thousand capacity stadium, which they you know they, they they feel, and they voted against it, and they voted for FFP, and you're thinking, what, what are you doing, you crackers? And they think that it it rains it rains teams in, it rains the big teams in, but the fact of the matter, it doesn't rain the big teams in. It actually, you know, Everton are not as saleable. In the current climate, the guys that have bought Newcastle, the Saudi Arabians who have bought Newcastle, you'd be very interested in speaking to them now and seeing if they've got exactly what they thought mm. they were getting or whether they thought they could go for it the way mm. that Manchester City went for it. And we by about Kill to find by out. Killian Mbappe. Yeah, and, and we're about to find out whether our Manchester City went for it was, was legal or not. But I wonder if the guys that bought Newcastle would now look back and go, actually, mm. this is not as advertised. Mm. People like Steve Parrish at Crystal Palace, you know, have talked about it in the past as, oh, it, 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 it reigns people in. But you hear Steve Parrish talk about it now and he's coming up with different ideas, different ways of doing it. That was the only financial control on offer mm. in answer to the question. That yeah. was the only... You know, mm. when people say, so it oh, good to why don't like they, why don't doing they do... Why, you know, why didn't they all vote against it? Well, mm. we, they wanted some form of financial mm. control and that was the only form of financial control on offer, so people voted for it. You've got to remember, UEFA's FFP is brought in to control Chelsea. Forget Man City. Everyone thinks it's all about Man City. Man City wasn't even on the radar when they were talking about financial controls at UEFA, Platini and people like that. No, you know, Man City, it predates Sheikh Mansour. The club that everyone was worried about was Chelsea. By the time it was put to the test and put to the vote, Roman Abramovich <laughs> was a fan of FFP. Now, you've got to ask yourself, mm. if that was the FFP that everyone was thinking of, mm. if Roman Abramovich 
actually voted for in the end and was saying to Platini, we need financial controls. No, what he wanted, he didn't want financial controls. Hmm. What he wanted was, I want to pull the drawbridge up because I'm in I'm in the castle now yeah. and I don't want anyone else to get in the castle. Yeah. Well, we'll come back. That's an excellent answer. Tony, I hope you, hope you got what you wanted there. Um, we'll come back to the big teams because I think that we do need to talk about them. But Gregor, it was kind of alluded to in the discussions before, we talk so much about projection and narrative in football these days. As much as we're getting into the, you know, very into the depths of what these um, charges mean and the reality of them, is there an aspect do you think of when we think of the likes of Macclesfield, Berry, and teams down the football league? Do you think there's an element of presenteeism about these charges and the potential points deductions? Just that for the little guys, they'll be looking and going. Finally, they're doing one of the big guys. Finally, the big guys are going to pay. Well, there have been those that kind of those sort of hierarchical debates in the football league, as you as you alluded to. Macclesfield were one when they were the first club to be, I think, got points for failing to pay wages. Mm. Lots of clubs mm. <laughs> in the football league over the years have failed to pay wages. Mm. They were dot points, and ultimately it doomed them. And mm. you know, Bolton were one club in the same season did the same and weren't. And there, you know, the words mm. there's nuance to all of this because it's it's about the the way that the, the the owners engage with the with the the governing body as well, but absolutely, I think there is there's always going to be a sort of feeling that there are some fruits that are more ripe than others to pick, and look, that's what that's what ultimately a lot of Everton fans are arguing now with Manchester City. But it's it, it's it, it is in fairness a very different set of circumstances, mm-hmm. and if you're going to take on Manchester City, like with everything we know that Manchester City have said and feel about this process. Then they want to do it right. Yeah. Well, Not. talking of Manchester City, the Premier League chief, chief executive Richard Masters has revealed a date has been set to deal with Manchester I'm City's. T- I'm telling you what it is. Charges, but we won't tell you what it is. Uh, the alleged 115 rule breaches that City are alleged to have made. But when it comes to the timings and things, and we think mm. about how long this has been going on, Martin Ziegler again writing this week: the investigation into City began in December 2018 with charges brought in February last year, while Chelsea had been under investigation for 18 months for payments made during Roman Abramovich's ownership. It has been reported that City's hearing has been scheduled for October, which would mean the process may not be completed well into 2025. Johnny? Yeah, I I found that answer pathetic. I really did. Um, And last night, and this is how my life's bit less fun than it was in my 20s probably <laughs> I sat through the select committee I, I, I didn't see it at the time so I watched it last night mm. while trying to watch a bit of Forest um, Blackpool um, and I mean I think throughout Masters came across as, as evasive um, as um, cold um, and was I think Rick, Rick Parry ran rings around him I mean he, they just couldn't pin him down on an answer as to why four years on the Premier League haven't come up with a new deal yet agreed the new deal yet but rather than I mean I don't don't think he's an impressive performer but I don't want to vilify him as an individual other than to say who is the who are the Premier League the Premier League are the clubs so Richard Masters has got actually an impossible job of trying to speak on behalf of all these these warring clubs and he's probably not doing a great job of it but I have sympathy for that job but the idea that Man City don't worry about it. It's all in hand. We've got a date. I'm not going to tell you when the date is. It's probably going to be twenty twenty five. In the meantime, let's let's hammer Everton and Forest. The optics, as they say, are not good on that. Mm. When it, there are so many conflicting interests yeah. in football in a league yeah. and in between leagues. I know Martin will hate to hear this, but it makes the case for an independent regulator even all the stronger. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking. We're, <laughs> heading, we're, heading, right, we're heading towards <laughs> solutions. We're heading towards <laughs> solutions because I do think it'd be nice to finish with some solutions in terms of what we think could be better than what we've got already. Gregor, is that your is independent regulator what you'd go for? I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but I, I, I think ultimately it's 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 been it's it's been a failure that football clubs trying to kind of police themselves and look after themselves, look after each other. It's failed. That'll never work. So, so you think out, you need an outside governance? I do. I know it's going to be comp- complex, and I'm not sure. I don't think there's a perfect. You know, there's no panacea, but I feel that absolutely there, that that would be a better situ- situation. Martin, I mean, I, I would not trust that Luke Powey sat there in front of this lot again and said that two thirds of the clubs in the EFL are will go bust unless we get another figure that's been plucked out there. The first one's plucked out there, the second one's plucked out there, all plucked out there. When have two-thirds of the clubs in football ever gone bust? That's 48. Mm. That's 48. So two whole divisions are going to go bust. Yeah, it's a lie. That's alarmist nonsense, yeah. It's alarmist it's mm. nonsense. So, you could say two-thirds, you could say more than that are in mm. serious debt. You could say two-thirds of them are doing no good financially. Mm. Yeah, you have two-thirds of any of the restaurants in the country that, you know, <laughs> are doing no good at any, at any stage, but the entire restaurant industry mm. isn't about to go bust. So uh, arguments are being picked up uh, plucked out of the air and my problem with the uh, independent regulator as everyone on here knows is if that's the standard if you look at what's wrong with the Premier League at the moment you've got an independent regulator you've got independence already you've got a very weak chief executive in Richard Masters and you've got independence surrounding him and all they're doing if you pardon my language on here everybody is covering their asses. that is all they are doing mm-hmm. and if you look at what went wrong with the post office it was mm-hmm. a load of people at the top covering their asses. because when things started to unravel there no one no one was bold enough to stand up and go now this can't be mm. wrong. We can't suddenly have had got a, a thousand postmasters on the take or overnight all of a sudden. No one had to because they're all independent and they're all covering their asses. So, so I've said it three mm, times now. Lots of asses and uh, lots <laughs> of asses are not on board with the regulator. But what what do you think as a kind of pro? What would your suggestion be? I would then? have firm, hard rules of the type that football is too terrified to have. How has the EFL? Give us a for, what give us a for instance. Better, you, could, you could take back Reading now. If you can't pay the wages, if you default on the wages, the Football League... And the you Football League is the clubs, though, Martin. That's no, the point. You put it under Independent regular may be able to do that. No, no, oh. no. The Football League can. If you, put it, if you put it into the statute books, if you fail to pay, if you fail to pay your mm. players, we have the right, as the Football League, to take your club and to put it into administration. We have that's what we have to the right, the right to do, right? You start producing hard rules, fast rules that bad ownership is that owner investment isn't a problem, owner uninvestment, disinvestment, call it what you like, <laughs> misinvestment that's the problem. So, what would you so they should be able to take that club back off, die young now. So, what would your punishments have been for Mashiri? They would have been. Back in time, they would have been quicker, more reactive punishments. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But look, Mashiri's all Mashiri's done is invest badly. You know, you're allowed to invest badly. You're, there's no such thing as you can't pass a rule against being a a bad owner. 
You can't pass the ball against not knowing who a good left-back is or buying four of them and they're all useless. Mm. You can't pass the ball against that because that's how football clubs move up and down the pyramid. You know, they make bad buys. They, you know, spend a billion pound on players and forget to sign a centre-forward. Things like that. That's, that. that's always got to be allowed. If you can't pay the players, you shouldn't be running the football club. And, and, and you should have the power to go right. We take your football club back. We are going to put it on the market, and these are the administrators we will appoint to run it until such a time as we can sell it. Johnny, independent regulator, hard and fast rules. You've been sat well, in the corner listening to all of this. You're yeah, going to come yeah. up with a culture dancer, aren't you? Oh, I'm not sure. Culture, um, what? <laughs> culture yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you two, sure, you two, you two, you two, coming in, coming in again, salted. I've got a polar neck on. I'm culture. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, Martin's got a polar neck on. Yeah. As well, so. um, look, I think what well, Martin's talking about there's a club licensing system. I've heard that. I, I think it's a good one where you wouldn't buy the club, you'd buy the license, as it were. Difficult in and law too, though. Very difficult in law. This is where we are, though. Um, but you, you, the license could be taken away from you if, if you're not paying your wages or, or whatever. <coughs> by an independent um, right. But you're not closing the club down, John. That's but, all I mean. You're not closing the club down. You're, you're saying, not, no, like, no. these people will I mean, now run your club. That's so. an American-style system, and that, there is a lot of logic to that. Um, but, it would, as Gregor said, it would be a fundamental redesign. The thing about the regulator is it's been, it's been pushed as a kind of either-or, um, and I think we're still here in this binary idea. And Gregor's right, the, 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 the Premier League is failing... And, and the football league has failed to to look after itself because clubs can't be trusted to look after themselves basically. But a regulator is still going to have problems to sort out. So it's it's getting to those problems, and I would say that they are um, distribution absolutely key. Premier League it, it is it's equitable, but it needs to be more equitable. So make make divide the, to divide the um, Premier League prize money up equally. You could do that tomorrow, and that would that would help clubs. Lower down, the top clubs still get to play in European competition, and that's where they make their advantage. And basically, owners and executives having to answer for their actions. And one of the things about this Everton thing, as I said, is the idea that the execs behind it can just walk away, never never have to answer a question, mm. which is very much post office scandal esque. And the owner, we we don't know. He doesn't he doesn't talk. We doesn't he does when mm. he does talk. It's it's bizarre, but but. You know, it doesn't feel that owners have to answer for anything, and and whatever mechanism, it's got to be distribution. It's got to be people in charge answering for stuff. Doesn't sorry, sorry. No, you, I'm just going to say there's a like, the thing thing that people coming back to as well is this idea of of it being you know clubs having to or owners having to deposit money in a sort of escrow account as well. Mm. So it's like mm. the money's already there. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, in other words, sorry. <clears throat> I think that would be almost impossible outside the Premier League. I don't think. I, I think the the number of people wanting to buy football clubs, particularly in the football league, would diminish greatly. And that you know, in some cases, that'd be a good thing. <laughs> but mm. not everyone has you know. If Manchester United's wage bills three three hundred million or whatever, you know, somebody has to deposit yeah. a lot of money and money for that they're going to spend in the transfer market more. To very quickly put it another way and echo that, we're all worried about Machiri at the moment. What we should be worried about as much as Machiri is seven seven seven, but amidst all of this, mm-hmm. nobody's looking at who the next people are, mm. and and that's where football fails time and again. The other thing I was going to just about to say because whenever this is is uh, whenever we discuss things like this, I always come over some laissez-faire free market. 
capitalist lunatic. So, in, in your role, Nick. Uh, yeah, exactly. Fiorentino Perez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, I would just like to say, and I've, I have written this, so anyone's been reading it, I have written this. I am very much in favour of wealth redistribution mm. in football, but people only ever see it as the Premier League and the EFL. The biggest corrupting influence in, in, in financing football is the money that comes in from UEFA and the money that will come in from FIFA into the, into the Club World Cup and the sort of monies they are guaranteeing clubs. So, no one cares about football in New Zealand, or, you know, probably, or listen to this podcast. There may be one or two, but I do apologise for anyone who cares about uh, football in New Win- Zealand. Winton Rufus. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but, but, the, but if you look at the next Club World Cup and think what, what FIFA are guaranteeing participants in that and think what that amount of money will do if given to one club in New Zealand, that's the end of the domestic league. As, as it has been in various parts of Europe, including <laughs> Germany, which had a league exactly like ours that had never been won by a team any more than three times and what a Bayern Munich now, 11. And that's all to do with UEFA money coming in. So the first thing I would do, and it's never going to happen because you're never going to get the big clubs to vote for it. You can do but, it on this but, podcast. But, though, we are, but you know, while we are living in a, a fantasy world of mm. let, let's get football, try and get football perfect, is that the money that comes in from UEFA should be balanced, should be tipped far more to giving it to the league rather than to two or three clubs within mm. that league. And then that brings the domestic competition closer together. Whereas at the moment, if you look at what is given to the actual individual clubs as opposed to what is given as the solidarity payment to the rest of the league, it's nothing. It's nothing. There's tens and tens of millions between it but if you ever tried to do it all of the major clubs of Europe would break away straight mm. away that's that that's what they mm. would do so you are hamstrung by it but if we are talking in an ideal world then that's the way you try and bring everyone closer together and then that makes it a lot easier to knock that payment on down towards the EFL, down towards leagues one and two, and uh, and everything mm. like that, and then you try, you you try to aim for competition, but it won't happen because that starts at the very top, and Turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Mm. I, I would, I just have one thing. It's slightly kind of, you know, it's related, but it's I fundamentally don't trust. Uh, the other thing about self police is I don't trust the owners of Premier League football clubs, and and actually the direction of travel too. You know, we're to, how many how many. American owners are there now in, in the Premier League and it's going to be growing and it will a different view, a different kind of vision of what sport mm. is really mm. and if we're talking if, if we're still talking about you know one vote one club we're heading down a path where you can you actually lose control a little bit as well so it's all related it's but but I, I I don't trust the clubs to police themselves and I think that's only going to get worse mm. rather than better no trust, loss of control, lots of problems and some solutions. There you go. You got the full package on the game. Yeah, no podcast. solutions that anyone had ever voted. <laughs> yeah. But if you listeners have got any ideas on football's financial future, you can get in touch with me or perhaps you've got a question for one of our journalists, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, stick with us. We're going to be talking about Ivan Tony and Jonathan Mourinho next.
Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark, and today I'm joined by Martin Samuel, Gregor Robertson and Johnny Northcroft. Now, there might only be two matches in the Premier League this Saturday, but there's one man who is very excited about January the 20th, and that is Ivan Tony. He will return to action for Brentford against Nottingham Forest after eight months out after being banned for betting offences. Gregor, you've written an excellent piece, which you can read on The Times website now, about what the striker has been up to during his time out. Tell us a bit more. Um, He's been... Cat for dogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know a lot of holidays. <laughs> no, I mean when he, when the ban was first announced, I think uh, he's he's spoken about how it kind of it took a toll on him and his family. There were a lot of kind of a lot of doubts, a lot of anger. I think a bit of he was aggrieved by the sort of severity of the punishment. If he's been honest with himself now, um, but after that he's. Uh, he's, he took it upon himself there was a four month period where he wasn't even allowed to set foot in Brentford's uh, training ground which you know Gareth Southgate was one of many many voices of sympathy regarding that decision and during that time he, he, he did several things he enlisted the work of a, uh, the, the service of a, of a personal trainer he went out to work with Alan Russell the former England striker coach out in Nashville went out there I think three times and I spoke to actually I spoke to a, a coach out there who watched Tony taking his his penalty kicks, and he he told me that he takes them from thir- he practices from thirteen yards, not twelve. Wow. And when he asked him why, he said, "Well, you get to match day, and the goal looks bigger." So mm. <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting. You kind of nugget yeah, about his yeah, sort of mindset. Mm. But then then he returned to training in September in really good shape, and and it was a big boost to everyone at, at Brentford. He's played in four B team games. Uh, he scored a hat trick recently. Penenka penalty so his confidence isn't isn't dimmed and he's done a surprising number of sort of interviews actually recently mm-hmm. he spoke to uh, Sky Sports he's done an interview with uh, he did an interview with the Diary of the CEO podcast and sort of the thing that just always strikes you with him is his like unwavering belief that he should be he will play <coughs> at the top level because mm-hmm. you've I, interviewed I, him I, in I, the past yeah, and he said exactly that didn't <coughs> I was going to say mm-hmm. I interviewed him just after he signed for Brentford so the season before he was playing for, for Peterborough in League One and he just signed for Brentford and he said he wanted to play for England and that's the kind of thing that in fact he said he's, he's going to play for England mm. he's not I want to he thinks I believe I will play for England mm. I believe mm. I will play in the Champions League and that kind of thing often strikes you of a player at that level as sort of posturing mm. but, I remember you ringing me in about it and going well he's he's not shy of a bit of confidence this lad he's, but he's, he, <laughs> he, he always kind of struck you that he meant it, you know, and I think ultimately, you know, even this week he's he's sort of doubled down on his his belief and his his desire to to play for a top club, challenging for mm. trophies. I think he said, uh, you know, Champions League. He said that he doesn't know. He didn't basically didn't rule out leaving this month, which, given all the support that Brentford have given him during the last eight months. Some fans might not be entirely yeah. pleased about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they accept he's going to leave, mm. but they definitely want him now that mm. they're in. In uh, in trouble and three points above the relegation zone, they definitely want him to to help them survive this season. But it's just that's the way he's always been. He's, he's even th- throughout the kind of the difficulties of the last eight months, his focus has been. He's he's, he's he said he's he's in, is envisioned standing in the tunnel, and on Saturday, and the, the the number one thing in his in his his head will be score goals, make up for lost time. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them doing that. Johnny, are we <coughs> excited to see Ivan Tony back in action? Really excited. Um, 
not just from a fantasy football point of view, <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's, I was, I was um, having this discussion with another journalist at St James's Park on on Saturday, where Alexander Isak was was sensational uh, against Man City. But before the game, we'd said there's never been a bigger drop off between the best striker in the Premier League and the next best. Mm. You know, after Haaland, who has the best number nine? And we basically came up with what's probably the guy that's not even playing. It's probably Ivan Tony. Could be Isak, but he gets injured a lot, and maybe Ollie Watkins. But that's why the competition needs him back. There's there's a, there's a dearth of operators in that position, and he's got there slowly. But he's he's certainly um, he's certainly one of the very best around. It's fascinating as to whether he's going to stick with Brentford, or rather, it's fascinating what Brentford do. Mm. Whether they keep him for the the relegation fight, and they could probably do with knowing what Everton's points deduction is going to be. But that's another thing. Uh, or do they cash in? And and if they try, if they keep him, how does that affect his mentality? There's, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot riding on this. But as Gregor sort of explains, he's the thing that strikes you watching Tony is the the sort of swagger, the good swagger that he's got of a guy that loves being the number nine, loves being the main man of a team. And one of my most one of the memorable bef- matches I covered last season was him at the Emirates, where he got hammered by the. Arsenal fans and he he loved it absolutely loved it and mm. players like that are just a joy to watch yeah what do you think Brentford do you talk about the kind of issue that they've got to decide here they've kind of there's been talk about them saying yeah. oh it'll take a stupid money off a hundred million etc for us to sell him but then the risk of losing him for free as you say probably the second best or the second most wanted striker in the Premier League that's quite a gamble isn't it well Brentford are, I think I think we know what they do really which is I mean they're a, they're a money ball club if you want to use that lazy term so they sell at the right price they know what the, that price is and they sell and it's quite a cold matter but but what they should do is probably keep him mm. I think what they've what they've done the reason they've allowed him to speak so freely in the last few weeks and, and months is that they they kind of acknowledge if they do get a silly offer mm. that they'll take it but the likelihood of that is probably quite slim mm. given all the financial constraints <laughs> we've spoken about and whether anyone's going to spend that on a strike. although it's a proven striker yeah. in January so I you know, I don't think you, I think it's unlikely someone will pay the money that they would accept but as Johnny says there's always a point where they will accept it What do you think it is? What do you think, what do you think the price is? Maybe 80 million? Yeah Because yeah. there's a scarcity isn't there? And... Mm. Yeah for that type of player well it'd be fascinating to see what happens in terms of transfers but looking at the international situation obviously Ivan Tony Martin was very upset to miss the World Cup as part mm. of his ban and understandably so do you think he has a point to prove in terms of the things Greg is talking about ready and raring to go or is he already even having not played in good contention for the Euro squad no I think he's got to come back and show that the, the time away from football hasn't um, hasn't doled his fitness at all uh, and, and doled his sharpness and doled his capability to, to score goals at an elite level. Um, that's the one thing that we don't know. That's the one thing that one would imagine Arsenal or Chelsea or any of his potential suitors at the moment are looking to see. Well, if we were to if we were to go in the January transfer window and again, as we as were just pointed out that there's a lot of reluctance to go in the January transfer window because no one wants to be deducted 10 points. But at the same time, you would be looking to see, does he come back sharp? Does he look like a guy that needs 
I don't know a month of matches before before he, he, he he's back to where he was. I'm going Southgate will be looking at that because all the world over there aren't that many matches between now and the European Championships. Mm. I would imagine Gareth would be looking to get him into the squad if he if he's if he comes back and and you know he, he hits hits the mark straight away. He will be included in England's squad for matches against, I want to say, Belgium and Brazil in March. Sounds about something like Brazil. Yeah. And then you go from there. I should say that he, he didn't miss the World Cup because of the ban. It was like the, alle- the allegations yes, came out sorry, beforehand. Yes, sorry, the allegations. Yeah. And he was banned subsequently. Yep. The one thing is, as, as well we should say is that it's been a long process. And even, you know, there was a long process when he was still playing and playing well mm-hmm. and scoring goals. And as Johnny said, he was the best striker in the country behind Erling Haaland and Harry Kane, who's now left. So... That in itself is quite a sort of, mm. you know, a glowing indictment of his yeah. of his, so of I his think, mindset. I think I know the answer to this question given what you've just said. But both on their day, Ollie Watkins or Ivan Tony for England. Yeah, uh, I've said this. I think I would take Tony because of his impact and because he's the best. He's best the best in the air in the in the whole league. Uh, I actually think Watkins is a little bit more similar to Kane in profile, but I still would take Tony. Johnny, Tony or Watkins? I know he could date both, but it's not as fun to say he can date both. It's a great question, because it's basically coming down to, down to having something different, which is Ivan Tony, or something in Ollie Watkins he could play, he could deputise for a number of positions. And I love Ollie Watkins. But, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think Tony is... Can he play for Scotland? <laughs> definitely could, yeah. I mean, God, we could have one of them, couldn't we? Um, <laughs> probably, I'd probably take Watkins just as just, just all round everything. But as a pure number nine, Tony's. Tony's no, no, you've said it now. You've picked, you've okay, picked Watkins, Ollie Watkins. Watkins. <laughs> Martin. This puts me in the sort of head judge it does. situation, <laughs> doesn't it? The, uh, no, I, I, I'll, I'll sit completely on the fence here and say that I'll wait to see what, that's a good I've, point. what no, Ivan that's Tony a good looks point. like when he comes back. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say, oh, I'd pick Ivan if Tony he lo- and he if, comes if back. He, and he looks if he comes back as good as he short, If he comes back as good as he was. If he, if he comes back as good as he was, you probably go with Ivan Tony, I would imagine. But then again, if you're looking at the guy that has got the best scoring record outside of, uh, with no penalties at the moment, is Jared Bowen. Mm. Jared mm. Bowen's scoring record, bearing in mind the man doesn't take penalties, is is absolutely exceptional. He makes him the best mm. striker in, in the country on form at the moment. If you take if you if you take away the penalties. Goal from open play. Well, I reckon I had Bowen indefinitely. That's why you had to well, choose no, between I'm Watkins and Tony. Have, mate, I'm not saying I would have Joe Bowen in necessarily either. We don't have to make the decision yet. It's January. Mm. Yeah, exactly. There'll be plenty more England squad discussions <laughs> and debates coming up, I'm sure. Well, Ivan Tony might be back, but one man with the weekend off is Jose Mourinho, sacked this week by Roma. Um, Tom Allnut's piece about Mourinho and his time at Roma is absolutely fascinating. It's well worth your time. If you search for Tom Allnut and Jose Mourinho on the Times website, you'll find with it. everything in flames, as it, it usually does. Yeah. <laughs> well, slightly, but also before the flames, there was... Um, it's like the, the last scene of Barton Fink, virtually. There, there was the <laughs> fact... film. Wow. He, film. We're yeah. into the film area of the podcast uh, there was the fact that Mourinho was the best paid coach in Serie A and Roma owned the third highest paid squad in the division but even with that Ro- Mourinho had achieved only six place finishes in successive seasons and failed to qualify for the Champions League so crucial to the club staying clear of financial regulations of course Johnny where were we at with Jose now in the kind of the wow. narrative trajectory of his career well I, th- I think what strikes me is he's just becoming an ever more extreme version of himself. Mm. You know, he's 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 going further down the Jose Mourinho road, and the Roma 
uh, episode because they're all kind of episodes in his in his story, really, aren't they? He never stays long. Are it, it was almost like Jose plus 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 because what he does is he he goes somewhere he he, he divides people instantly, but he creates incredible tribal loyalty among those who. Who, who who think he's great? I think he got five red cards in his time. It's incredible. Sunday was the sixteenth Six. game that he's that he's missed. That he's missed. The touchline ban. And amid it all, the thing that strikes, I, I guess, the point is that all the fireworks of Jose Mourinho happen off the pitch these days, and on the pitch, what you get is 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 pretty kind of stasis. Really, it's not it's not um, it's not great football to watch, and it's not really winning. Football, it's winning football up to a point, which is you know what he did sixth place Europa Conference League. But that's for, for Roma. I don't know. It's when there's debates as to whether you have to you have to be a Roma fan and say if that's good or not. But well, you talk about Roma fans in Tom Olnock's piece. He mentions how at the training ground they all gathered to say goodbye and yeah. wave him off. And it, it, that's it what I mean to, about it seemed to them the, the the kind of the fireworks that Martin mentioned and going up in flames and things. They seem to quite like that. Yeah, yeah, because he, he tapped into Rome, yeah. which is a brilliant city, mad city. Definitely tapped into Rome in that sort of visceral way. But um, he is becoming the man for those jobs now. I don't know where his next club is, but it's it's it's. I don't know who is crying out for a, 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 a for, you know, arsonist. An arsonist. <laughs> that's exactly. That's exactly. The, that's exactly. Ryan has got this phrase about Nicholas Cage being. <laughs> 100% Nicholas Cage 100% of the time and, and that's sort of like uh, Jose Mourinho is 100% Jose Mourinho 100% of the time now there is no there is there is no alternative basically to no. him being 100% Jose Mourinho 100% of the time Martin I wanted to ask you about his football because Johnny touched on it there in terms of knowing what you're going to get off the pitch and on the pitch in Tom Allnut's piece you kind of had a breakdown of his career and his win percentages um, going back to Porto 72% win percentage then Chelsea 67 in to 63 Real Madrid 71 in his second spell at Chelsea it was still 59% even at Manchester United it 58% so it is that winning football but do we think he's kind of football modern football has slightly passed him by so that now we see his style of football as oh really boring oh it's backs to the wall etc because well, that, it wasn't always the case was no, it, it wasn't, that no. first Chelsea team we were all like wow this is amazing well if you look at it when, when Antonio Conte's team was breaking records and everything the records he was breaking, and, and and later on Pep Guardiola was breaking records at Manchester City. The records being broken were Jose Mourinho at yeah. um, at Chelsea yeah. for you know most wins in this and most goals scored in that and fewest defeats, fewest and goals conceded, too. fewest goals Still conceded. One, yeah. No, you know incredible, incredible statistics. And I was always a fan, always a fan of Jose Mourinho. And even when. Um, he played, you know, football that people didn't like and the Inter Milan, you mm. know, Inter Milan winning the European Cup. It was a hell of an achievement yeah. to win um, the European Cup with Inter Milan. It really was. And there's a lot of ways to win a football match. And if everyone played the same way, even if it was balancing the ball on your nose, um, it would still be... It would still be dull in the end because everyone's mm. playing the same yeah. way so I quite like I this sort of Voldemort character basically <laughs> that you, you know that is 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 on the dark side as such having said that I watched the Europa League final and that was a tough old watch that yeah. you know I mean that was that was tough that. and then he goes he, 
hanging around waiting for the referee, wasn't he, afterwards? Mm. Anthony you know, Taylor. Anthony Taylor and stuff. And, and that all... He was accosted it, at the airport afterwards. Yeah, um, and exactly. And what I mean is, there was always, you know, always a dark side to the way Jose would play. There was always a little bit of the dark arts to it. But the other stuff balanced it out. And there's less and less of the stuff that balances it out now. And there's, you know, a lot more of the dark arts. And what you were saying about Roma, you've got to remember that not so long ago, Agnelli, and I know he's sort of discredited figure, but Agnelli of Juventus was making the case do Atalanta deserve to be in the Champions League even though they finished fourth when a great club like Roma have finished fifth and can't get in there and was was almost making the case that, you know, you should get a mm. bit of a pass for your historic achievements. And the example that he used was Atalanta's small little upstarts. You know, I know you've come fourth, but you're, you know, you're not worthy of this tournament when a great club like Roma are shut out. Now we're meant to look at Roma and think, well, the Conference League, that's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good level, the Europa League final or whatever. Roma are a big club. Mm. They're a big club. Now, they're not Juventus and they're not the Milan's, but they're a big club. And, you know, Jose does this as well. He, he sort of changes what people, you know, everything. Mm. Because, you know, Jose was the guy that, that made everyone take the um, Community Shield. Mm, seriously yeah. as a trophy because he he started he, talking he about it. he started he started listening and his trophies one he take took it seriously and now we all sort of accept it like that we go oh they've won the first trophy of the season when in the past that was the charity shield mm. it was you know it was mm. a, I think I've got it in my contract that I never have to go <laughs> <laughs> That was after Blackburn versus Everton. <laughs> we'll bring that up at the start of next season. Gregor, in terms of uh, Mourinho and that personality and some of those clubs that Martin mentions, and you keep saying, you know, he's a big club and Tottenham before them were a big club and Manchester United was arguably the biggest. That was the big project, wasn't it? And he was seen to be brought in to compete against City and Guardiola. Does he almost need to now rebrand and find a club a little bit lower down the pecking order and, cha- and channel some of that kind of upstart um, personality that he had, which was part of the Inter Milan mm. on the pitch at the new camp. We've done mm. it. We've knocked you off your pedestal, mm. etc. Is he not? Has he not already done that? Has he not already had the first stage of that? Maybe there's another stage to come. I mean, he did that with Spurs, and like, let's mm. not forget, if he hadn't been sacked, you might have won a trophy for with yeah, Spurs. Oh, mate, they sacked mm. him. As he tell you, ridiculous. Exactly, time. he would tell you that, and I think he has done. Yeah. And he won. You, you know, he said to the fans that he said, "We'll always have Tirana, where they won their first trophy in fifth, in fourteen years." Mm. Uh, so you know, he, he still finds a way to. Mm. To win or nearly win, he did it at Porto. He won the European Cup at Porto. Mm. I mean, you yeah. know. But but the bigger picture now is that, like, I actually read that his points per game ratio is the lowest of any Roma coach with fifty or more games. So, and it, and his <laughs> his last press conference, was, there was a good line. He said, uh, "Again, he's always like, you know, creating the siege mentality or whatever." He's saying that Roma are not among the teams who should be finishing in the top four. That's what he said. Yeah. And he said, they must think I call myself Josie Harry Mourinho Potter. <laughs> so, you know, there's still like, it's box office, but oh. it's always like us against the world, two you know, lofty expectations. And that can be quite grinding. It was certainly grinding for Spurs. 
look, I don't know the the kind of culture, and it's going to be different. And obviously, mm. it's different in Rome. They loved it. They loved the fact that he was a, a winner, a serial winner. Mm. But that became really great in it for a team like Spurs. So it's got to be a pretty specific kind of project, mm. I think, for a a club to really buy into what Jose Mourinho mm. now brings. Mm. He's sixty now, Martin. Just finally. He always talked about when he was at Chelsea, a kind of career trajectory that maybe saw him finish in international football. Do you see it kind of going that way or maybe the the millions and billions of maybe Saudi Arabia or elsewhere? Or do you think he'll kind of have another crack at a, a big club, as you say? It's just where that comes from. It's, it, you know, people, people have said, oh, he could go to Newcastle or whatever. But mm-hmm. Newcastle, one of the reasons that you know, with Manchester City, one of the reasons Guardiola was of such appeal uh, to Manchester City was because his style of football is popular, it's pleasing on the eye, it wins friends. Imagine if Manchester City had 115 charges against them and Diego Simeone as their manager, you know, and, <laughs> and it, every every game was, you know chaos and carnage and people getting sent off or threatened and this was like imagine that one the the only the saving grace with Manchester City is that you watch them come back from behind at Newcastle you go God I haven't seen a team play like this (laughs) I haven't seen seen a team play like this all season this is fantastic Mm. and that's the saving grace because otherwise if, if, if it was you know, if it was all dark arts or, or whatever, you know, Harry Potter uses Harry Potter. You know, that's what they've got. Man, they've got Harry Potter in charge. And do you really want Voldemort? You know, that's, that's, that, that, is, that, yeah. that is the thing. If you're Newcastle, you're looking to... You're trying to win friends. People call it sports washing. Now, I think we sort of rather inflate our own importance in, in, in the idea of sports washing. But... You're trying to win friends. You're trying to project mm. a, a a certain image. Eddie Howe fits that perfectly. Great work ethic. Mm. He's a young English coach and, and and stuff like that. If you've got someone poking people in the eye <laughs> on the, on, in the dugout, as he has been known to do, is that really going to win you too many friends around the world? Oh, we've got the manager who pokes people in the eye when they're not looking. <laughs> well, we will see if there can be a Jose Mourinho rebrand. There you go, game podcast listeners. Solutions to football's financial problems and comparisons of Harry Potter and Pep Guardiola. You've got the full <laughs> lot on this show. Jonathan Northcroft, Martin Samuel and Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you too for listening. We'll be back on Monday. See you then. Thank you.